do people know what Diago Seal means? Do they really understand that it's, this is where you gamble? Because there's still people that are playing on sites that aren't registered in Ontario and they're still out there and they're still promoting themselves through social media channels. And so it's a competitive challenge for a lot of operators in this marketplace. Hello and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. I'm your still slightly horse host, Steve McAllister. We were a busy 60 minutes teed up, highlighted by a couple of significant stories we've covered in this week's newsletters. Eric Hurd, the CEO of A2Z Ventures, will be with us in a few minutes for a conversation on Better Collective's acquisition of Toronto-based Playmaker Capital, which was announced Monday. We're also going to get into, during the show, the lead item in the Thursday newsletter this week of meetings led by the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario soliciting feedback into proposed changes to advertising standards with the focus on athletes, uh, influencers, and celebrities. As always, Amanda Brewer is going to be with us with this hour. Phil Gray is with us, uh, Mark Silver and Mike Day. We're waiting for Eric. Amanda, maybe we'll start just, uh, we mentioned in the newsletter this morning that uh, you and I are, are making our, uh, our return. I think this is the hat trick for you and I at the primetime time sports management conference and trade show next uh, next week in Toronto. We're part of a panel on Tuesday afternoon to talk about the latest happenings in the sports betting industry. I think you and I did, first did this back in 2021, just after Bill C-218 was, was passed. Um, we are going to be joined next week on that panel by uh, Nick Salski from Points Bet Canada and Scott Woodgate from, from BetMGM. I've enjoyed the panel the last two years, and I, I think the one thing, Amanda, we, we tend there tends to be some really good questions. We get people to come up to us afterwards. And it really is a good opportunity to kind of educate people in the sports business, sports management, sports media industry about uh, what's happened with regulated sports betting and iGaming here in Ontario. Yeah, and I guess we're doing a good enough job that they've invited us back twice now, Steve. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I, I take that as a sign of confidence. But yes, it's it's a definitely a more um, it's definitely a different mix than what we see at, uh, for ex- for instance, the Thing Gaming um, Summit or G two E or ICE, some of the big conferences that Canadians attend. Um, this is really focused on 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 sports, and um, we've come in sort of as the market was just opening, and then after the first year of the market, and this is us coming in as we're approaching the second year of the market. Um, and there, you know, to my delight, still is a lot to talk about, and there's still a lot of interest in it. Um, and yeah, in addition to the students that are there, um, I find that you know this is an audience of people who are very dialed into professional sports leagues and and all that side of the business but not so much into the sports betting industry so they come really curious really interested and it's it's really you know it's always a great time to be down there and i know just talking to trevor with and he's always very appreciative of us returning i've got a real easy task as a moderator for that panel next week amanda with with yourself and and scott and and nick i mean it's uh it is a great panel. It brings a lot of different uh, different insights and skill sets from across the industry, whether it's uh, the regulatory side or, or uh, activations around, around partnerships and sponsorships. And um, obviously, Scott's background in, in, in media, um, similar, similar to mine. So it, I really like the makeup of the panel. Um, Mark Silver, I'll get you, get you in here for a sec because you're, uh, you've been to the primetime conference on, on several occasions. Again, I think uh, you and I both know there there are 
not only do you get a lot of industry executives at this conference, but you also get a lot of college and university students who are looking to get some networking done, find, find out what jobs, careers might be available in, in the sports, sports industry. And for people like you and I, it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of an old home week. I completely agree, Steve. It's a lot of fun going to the primetime sports conference. I mean, clearly with uh, you know, Trevor Whiffen and Brian Burke involved, you have some very interesting dialogue that happens sometimes on the stage, sometimes from the front row for anyone who's been there. And just being there together with really the who's who of the industry and then giving access to young and up and coming people who, who are looking to further their careers in, in the industry or just enter the industry, you know, makes it for a really great event because you do feel like you're giving back. And I think I'm going to go down there, Steve, to heckle you and Amanda from the crowd. So be prepared. And uh, I, I look forward to it. The only person allowed to heckle is, is Brian Burke. I'm, I'll never, I'll never argue with, uh, with Brian. So he has, he has free, free reign to, uh, heckle that part of the conference too man i don't know about you but i know i get approached by young people after those panels and they they want to they're asking you know handing out business cards asking about jobs in the industry and um you know we we do have uh you and nick and scott and i do have a, a prep call later later today for for tuesday's panel but one of the things i'm sure we'll get into on tuesday is is a deloitte uh, canada study that came out around the canadian gaming summit back in june and and just the economic benefits of this industry so far, and we we talk, you and I talk about this off- offline, and and uh, we talk about it in this in this forum as well. But if you're someone in a sport management program at Brock University these days, or or Laurentian, or um, even in others other sectors, there are some really exciting opportunities to work in this industry. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because um, I, I was mentioning uh, pretty recently that this industry didn't exist as a as a study option as a program I could study what I what I was going to university. Now I know I'm approaching old as dirt, but uh, <laughs> my my godson is actually in his first year at Brock, um, and at some point um, during his tenure there, should uh, find himself in the class with uh, with Mike Noreen. Um, so, you know, Spencer reached out to me because he saw I was speaking at the conference and wondered if it would be worth his time and effort to get out here for the day. So I said to him, probably when he's closer to graduating and has a better idea of what it is he wants to study, and then I'd be happy to sort of squire him around and introduce him to people. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a testament to sort of the government's hopes, the government's policy objectives when they decided to regulate the industry and it wasn't just about getting operators to come into compliance and you know derive revenue from the revenue they were making it was also about you know what kind of industry could we actually develop here in terms of you know office space rental in terms of people being hired in terms of new training programs at colleges and universities that would be developed so that we could continue to sustain this industry we've talked a lot about that over these last couple of years is you know the focus very much in addition to being responsible and compliant in this market is also about making sure this market can be sustainable and that it'll be there for the foreseeable future and that it will continue to provide good paying really interesting technology-based for the most part jobs and that's you know in my opinion really where not just ontario not just canada but that's really where the world is going with work right now it's you know really skill-based technology-based employment that's pretty much the world so really proud again that ontario has been able to be the first to to try and you know 
get this get this off and running and you know has been trying to work really hard on the regulatory side to make sure that the operators have the tools they need and that there's not a lot of red tape that will you know prevent them from being as successful as they can in Ontario. You know, it's, it's funny. If you're talking to me, and I'm thinking of my conversation with Phil Gray this week for uh, for next week's edition of the newsletter and how Phil got his start with Sports Interaction 20 years ago. And I think, you know, Phil's a, a great example of uh, someone who, you know, had nothing to do with, with sports betting or, or gaming and it's ended up having a a great run in the industry and and phil i'm thinking like you know back in the early 2000s i mean you you had no inclination at all that you would one day work at a sports book oh absolutely none steve just came across my uh, my path one day and one one thing i've made sure of um, at sports interaction over the years was to make it a priority to uh, promote from within and identify you know key people in other departments you know customer service payments security uh, marketing as well that had an interest in uh, in the trading department to you know uh, like again identify those people and promote from within rather than going from outside the company and hiring internationally as um you know as some companies have done over the years and we did as well so it's a great initiative that you guys um are applying now to uh, you know keep it homespun yeah mark before we get eric heard and up here um you know i think again parley media group where uh, like our company's a great example i mean three Three years ago, it's almost three years ago, almost to the day now. I think when you and I first spoke, and, and you um, you reached out to me and said there was something going on with with sports betting in Canada, and and that was the initial conversation that eventually led the parlay. But you look not only at the six partners in our group, but the people we have working for us on the uh, content services side now, and, and at Homestand Sports, we've been able to build something off the backs of a regulated sports betting and eye gaming industry in this province. It's been great to see, Steve. You know, we we certainly know the the trials and tribulations of, of being a startup in this environment, and um, we, we don't talk about it a lot on the Gaming News Canada show. But I'm sure many of you follow the world of private equity and uh, and venture capital. The good fortune we've had is we've had a lot of people, friends, family, people we've met through the industry who have really supported us, and we've been embraced by new operators in the country, operators who who've entered the country. And uh, it's, it's just really a testament to, you know, if you, if you have a passion for something and you develop an expertise around it and you can deliver value, you know, every day, put the right people together. Uh, it's amazing what you can achieve. Great stuff, everybody. Thanks for that. Let, let's, uh, let's get to one of the two big stories of the week, um, certainly from a Canadian perspective. And um, welcome to the show, Eric Heard, the founder and CEO of A2C Ventures. And if you uh, if you've you know been on on the road this week or haven't been paying attention, Playmaker Capital, the Toronto-based digital sports media company, there was a news release that came out late Monday afternoon that the Playmaker is being acquired by Better Collective, the global digital sports media group that's been really really active on the M and A side this week. Um, I think back in August, bought uh, four digital sports media brands out, out of Sweden. Obviously, has a st- very strong presence in, in North America. For Playmaker, it's a great story. I mean, it's a company that was only only uh, created about uh, about five years ago. So, uh, you know, congratulations to to Jordan Nat, Mike Cook, uh, Jake Cassidy, and and the rest of the team at this uh, with with this transaction taking place. Eric, just uh, just to start, and thanks very much for for rejoining us on the show. And I'll also mention too, Paul Burns may have some thoughts about Playmaker as well because of uh, Jordan Nat's ties to the Canadian Gaming Association. So. Certainly um, welcome Paul's comments to here. 
But Eric, just some just some quick thoughts um, overall on on uh, the news from Monday. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. Good to, good to be here. Thanks for for having me. Um, I love this deal. Um, I think it is smart on both sides. Uh, you know, I think I think back to and I'm just using some comps and media. Uh, in 2012, Bleacher Report sold to Turner for 175 million, and the value that Better Collective is getting out of Playmakers portfolio, I'd argue, is much has much greater potential. Uh, obviously, Turner did a nice job turning that into, you know, a, a more omnipotent brand. But um, there's enormous audience here. Uh, there is a, a clearly strategic play against Latam in, in South America and um, some really interesting assets. I, I think uh, a defining feature of this that that probably is not going to get mainstream press is the death of the cookie is going to has the potential to really be a a negative thing for better collective and i think they've hedged i think the end of the day they just bought 200 million uniques of new audience and and the reality is is south america all of latin america is so important to all of those properties into better collectives future. Uh, so, so I think it's super smart and, and the, the multiple on EBITDA is aggressive. And, and so Jordan and Jake and team should, should be super happy with that. Um, usually, you know, you're used to seeing, I want to say like median is around like an, an eight on, on EBITDA. They got an 11 plus. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just wonder if they're going to, change the name of their company to Playmaker considering their last two acquisitions right a Playmaker <laughs> yeah yeah that uh, I think uh, now that uh, you mentioned that Eric I think it was Playmaker or HQ that uh, better collective acquired this summer and I think it was just uh, within the last four to four to six weeks that uh, uh, every spot, sport media that better collective did to deal with that with the Swedish brand and acquiring um, for for media brands, including uh, including a hockey uh, a hockey brand, Eric, with with this deal, can you just explain to our audience that the assets are, that are really the crown jewels of Playmaker Capital? Yeah, so you've got um, El Football Sites, which is very popular. Um, I don't even want to just say sites; very popular property that has content across virtually all mediums, very strong in Latin America. Uh, you've got Yard Barker, and congrats to Ben Magan, longtime friend, uh, in based in the States. And, and, you know, it's funny when you think about it. Uh, I launched my, my first company, which became the post game, the same month that Yard Barker, Bleacher Report, and SB Nation launched in, in 2008. Um, and everybody's been on a, a completely different journey, but to see Yard Barker flip, you know, two times effectively uh, in the past three years is 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 quite a testament to building a sustainable business. Um, third, you have uh, the Nation Network, which is hockey, very hockey focused in Canada. You've got uh, Wedge, which you know is is an affiliate machine. You know, it's it's more. 
I don't I can't I can't say I fully understand how wedge works other than it's something that is going to help the affiliate business. Um, th there's some other properties that I'm probably blanking on, but those are the the, the real assets. L football sites has massive reach, right? Uh, massive. Uh, and, and, and yeah, you know, as as private equity guys, Jordan and Jake clearly we're only interested in acquiring profitable businesses. So the, the pretty clean and, and impressive balance sheets all around. I, I should let the audience know we, we did reach out to, uh, to Jordan, Jordan, Nat and, and asked Jordan if he come on today and he, he politely declined and, and uh, we'll, we'll try to get him on again. I think once, once the acquisition as a, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed uh, early in, in the new year, um, and we'll, we are working on getting someone from Better Collective to talk to us probably for next week's newsletter. Um, Mark, I just wonder if you, if you want to talk a little bit just about Playmaker's presence in, in the Canadian marketplace. Yeah, I'll share the, uh, you know, the round of uh, applause, really, and kudos for, for the, the team, Playmaker team. And I think what maybe gets lost in some of the announcements is, um, you know, Relay Ventures and, and John Albright behind the scenes. You know, driving this same people who are very uh, important to, to the score and uh, and their their development from a media company into what we know them as uh, today. You know, in the Canadian market, you know, the assets that they've acquired they were kind of early stage assets, people who were coming out of Sportsnet and TSN. For most of us uh, who who are on this, like Steve and I, who work for bigger media platforms, we, we'd already seen the transition. People generally. Uh, being restructured out of larger media companies, sports organizations, and starting their own podcast, uh, their own social accounts. And that's a lot of what is at the core of, you know, the Daily Faceoff and what became the Nation Network and the various sports that are covered. But I'll give these guys lots of credit. I mean, they, while some of us uh, who founded like Parley Media Group, for example, really fancy ourselves at the, at the top of the food chain and in, in digital media and journalism and broadcast, uh, you got to give credit to to the bankers out there who who know how to build a company and have a hypothesis and do a reverse takeover, take it public, and buy more stuff and and leverage debt and capital. I mean, it was it was really been amazing to watch. I have not actually watched a company uh, develop like I have with Playmaker Capital, and uh, it's amazing to see. It's uh it's something as Canadians we should really be proud of that you know people who who we know who we see in our industry have have built something that really dominates uh, the Western hemisphere in, in a way that you know, a company like Better Collective to, to make a big play for their future wanted to buy the thing full stop. So congratulations to them. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure what it means for the future of the Nation Network or Daily Faceoff because it doesn't seem like those are the crown jewels in this transaction. I mean, they might be a gift with purchase. We'll, we'll never really know. Uh, but I think and this is more of a signal, and Steve, I'm happy for you to have this conversation after with uh, others who are willing to join. I think it brings into question, you know, what's next? What else is available in Canada to acquire? Yeah, that was a great, uh, great question, Mark. And I mean, just putting on my my sports media hat quickly, too. I mean, I'm happy for, you know, guys like Frank Saravelli at uh, Daily Faceoff. I mean, when Frank Frank left TSN a few years ago, it's it's a tough industry now. You see some really talented sports journalists across North America who, who don't have, don't have jobs right now. And, and, um, uh, daily face off and eventually playmaker capital. That was a great landing place uh, for Frank. And you look at Matt Zakaris, my old colleague at the Globe and Mail and Blake Price, whose podcast was just, uh, 
acquired or inherited by Playmaker uh, last week, you know, to, to give give Playmaker a stronger presence in the Vancouver sports market. So Playmaker Capital will certainly be an instrumental in giving people in my former business uh, a bit of a lifeline. Hey, Eric, last question I have for you is, uh, you know, Better Collective does have its fingers in a in a few different pies. And does this acquisition set them up to to directly compete with somebody? Yeah, listen, I, I, it's a really interesting time for media, for digital digital media here. I, I think what you're watching is Better Collective realizes that they've been based on an affiliate model, which largely worked. And, and yes, there have been some media and sponsorship and subscription dollars in, you know, a little here and there across their entire portfolio. But to be successful in, in being a digital sports media company, especially to benefit off of the unique time that uh, wagering is having in, in these new markets, you've got to have more diversified revenue streams. You've got to be in the subscription business, the sponsorship business, the media business, obviously affiliate licensing of content. So I'm, I'm actually very curious to see how better collective handles that transition. This is, this is a lot different than, than owning and operating a bunch of betting information sites. This is, this is a completely different play. Um, so who are they competing? They're competing against the disposable time and attention of every sports fan, you know, in North, South and Central America. Um, so, uh, what, what's interesting is, is the other, one of the other narratives you see happening as it relates to wagering and also big sports media is look at what, you know, the sporting news is doing with, under Rich Routman. Um, who, who used to run um, perform and then and then minute media, they're leaning hard into high LTV affiliate businesses, including gaming, but but outside of gaming too. Um, so it seems like a, a lot of players are taking a note on what's working in affiliate, applying it to other industries, and 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 basically saying to traditional media cpm reliant businesses like we can't rely on high cpms anymore because the rules of macroeconomics say when there's more supply that your prices are starting to get diluted so i think what's really interesting a long-winded way of answering your question is they're competing with everybody in that they weren't competing with before who's running a large sports media company but they're playing it. They're playing a game that is that is inherently different than everybody else. So, I I, I believe they will be successful. I think you know Scott Miller, Matt Schwimmer, uh, Carl Pugh, their entire revenue team at Better Collective. But I sat down with them recently. They're super smart. Like they're gonna they're gonna nail this. Um, but I but I would imagine they're gonna need the strong operators that are running the playmaker properties to stay on board for as, as long as possible, because those people know what they're doing. Yeah. And one, well, I was told by someone from playmaker this morning, Eric, that, that 
that those people are staying intact. In so Jordan, Jordan's not going anywhere and, or, uh, or Jay Cassie or other members of the operation. So I'm being told they're staying put for now. Hey, Eric, I, I, I lied. I do have one more question for you and, and Mark might want to weigh in here as well. But, you know, obviously you mentioned that the huge audience that, that this deal brings to Better Collective, but I'm also curious too, just about the, the diversification when it comes to languages. And this is something that we've talked about internally within Parley Media Group since, since we started the company. Uh, but, you know, you have a, a company now, which I think is based in Denmark that that has, uh, you know, Swedish assets now, Latin American assets, English speaking assets. Is that how much of an opportunity does that represent? Uh, massive. Uh, you know, the good thing about and and I would defer to Mark to add color to this, like the good thing is, is that technology, you know, advanced technologies have made translation relatively relatively easy in the whole scheme of things. I think having boots on the ground in all of those territories is of the utmost importance because, you know, there's still, uh, you still want to do business with people in those territories who, who feel in, in the same passion and um, I'd say home turf as, as everybody else. Um, but yeah, like, it, going from being a Scandinavian company to being a multinational company, it, that's, uh, that ain't easy. <laughs> uh, I, I think, but I think it, it's a huge opportunity. I mean, Br Brazil is massive and it's such a huge opportunity. I know that better collective was already allocating a lot of resources, uh, to Brazil and, and Latin America as a whole. Um, this is just a, a double down. Uh, additional thoughts, Mark? Really just pointing to a recent acquisition of Playmaker of, you know, La Poche Blue in Quebecois French. Right. And how it really, really just completes the offering for, for Better Collective. Really focusing, until Amanda tells me it's going to change, or Paul, really focusing still on, on the gray market opportunity in Canada to be able to, to stitch the entire market together. Eric Hurd is the founder and CEO of A2Z Ventures. Eric, uh, thanks so much for, for taking a bit of a time out of your day to, to hop on with us. And uh, always, always great to have your, uh, have your voice on, on the show. And, and hopefully we'll talk again very soon. Thanks for having me. And get, get your voice back, please. We're, we're, we're working on it. We're, we're, I think we're 90% there. Uh, that was Eric, Eric Hurd. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. Uh, let, let's move on to the uh, the lead item in the Thursday newsletter, and that's uh, uh, our coverage today of the uh, beginning of meetings this week between the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario with uh, with sportsbook operators, uh, with other stakeholders in the industry around the, the proposed standards for for advertising. Really, laser focus on the use of uh, of athletes and uh, and uh, celebrities and, and influencers and um, uh, Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, was 
nice enough to uh, to speak with us yesterday because Paul was was I think Paul you were in the in the first uh, the first meeting and just first of all Paul if you don't mind starting just uh, general thoughts on on how your meeting went with uh, with the commission this week. Uh, thanks, Steve. <clears throat> yeah, that was actually it was great. Nice to hear Eric again. Um, the um, the sessions were good. I mean, this is it's great that this consultation is happening. Um, it's great that the industry is taking the opportunity to share uh, their thoughts with the AGCO. Um, I think in this process, we the more dialogue, the better, um, and we'll get the best outcome. Um, it. Um, there wasn't, I think, the right kind of consultation at the front end of this, but there is now, and uh, and I think that's been very important uh, for us, um, the industry, to have, um, because we accept the principle that no one wants to create advertising marketing that um, is focused at minors or appeals to minors. Uh, everybody accepts that, and everybody wants to comply with the regulatory standards of the AGCO. Um, and so let's work together to make sure we can all do that and getting to the, you know, accepting the first principles, um, of those that that's what we're going to work from and that's what we're going to work towards, um, and whatever the standard, uh, interpretation or, or the standard itself looks like at the end of this process, um, it will have gotten there through a good measure of consultation and industry input because, um, the industry wants to be able to. Uh, comply, but it also wants to be able to market itself in an appropriate manner. And so it's just making sure that um, the tools are there for people to to do that. That um, because in some sort of some see, people see things being taken away, and 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 that, does that feed the feed the gray market operators who um, don't have to follow the rules and. Uh, the black market operators, I guess now, um, don't have to follow the rules and there's the uneven playing field and um, enforcement's been part of the discussion uh, through this process as well. So uh, it's been great. Hey, Paul, just, uh, and I know uh, Brett McCurdy, the D uh, Deputy Chief Operating Officer from AGCO was among the group at the table with you on, uh, I believe it was Tuesday, but what are some what are some of the questions or some of the issues that they they raise with you um i think it's um they did a lot of listening um to be honest i think that they want to find out areas where the industry um is looking for clarification what they understand um you know as being driven as a outcomes based you know, standards approach to regulatory. There was a feeling in some areas with the with this recent standard change, they got into specifics um, a little bit. They got in a little deeper, um, and that just the experience that the industry had through the bonus you know, on an incentive prohibitions at the opening of the market. Um, Really, that's the lens in which everybody understands is seeing the marketplace and enforcement, and they don't want to revisit that. That wasn't a great experience for everybody. Um, frustrating, and you know the AGCO um, 
isn't a regulator that's built to running around trying to hand out fines all the time. Um, and in fact, you know, I think they do have a commitment to working with industry to ensure compliance and understanding how to comply. And I think everybody's still learning in this process and, and you know, and understanding the marketplace. And that's what um, we want to, you know, part of the success was built around the high level of consultation. And, you know, we're getting that now. We didn't get it at the front end of this process as we had wished. But that's you know we got time. We we haven't they're not in effect yet. Um, so let's make sure we get them right, and that everybody's um, understands. So you know it's it's a bit um, from their point of view. They've started to you know they're listening and and they're giving operators a chance to um, ask their questions, share their thoughts. Um, understanding, I think the AGCL can always learn about operational impacts and how operations work and things will happen. And, you know, the, the February deadline is, is close and for marketing campaigns and those kinds of things that's, that are done months and months in advance, it gets a little, um, the timing's tight. So, you know, this was announced in August, we're in November, we're having good discussions, so let's hope we can get to a good place soon. Hey, Amanda, Paul mentioned the, the bonus of the inducements, and I, I think, you know, consternation might be an appropriate word when we mentioned this in the newsletter this morning about you look at the operators that were that were fined in the early days of the market. I mean, you know, Kindred Group and DraftKings and, and PointsBet, I mean, established operators who, who have worked in other jurisdictions, and I think that helped explain the, the frustration um, are, are you optimistic that given the, the process that the AGC has undertaken this time with the advertising standards that, that there can be common ground found? I think because I sat in on the meeting with Paul and I've observed a few other of the roundtables, I think Paul did a really great job at reminding them about the experience that the first operators who launched uh you know, in April when the market opened um, of their experience with the inducement language and how frustrating it was and how quick the AGCO was to find them, uh, even though, you know, it was early days and they were all still, you know, trying to find their footing um, and how there is absolutely zero appetite for operators to revisit that experience. So, um, there has been a very clear request made for guidance, you know, or at least guardrails that operators will have to stick between. There were, you know, several themes that were revisited that the AGCO is going to go back and, and revisit, which was, was good to hear. Um, but the other thing that, you know, Paul and I have discussed and, and Paul has reminded the AGCO as well is, you know, quite frankly, the agency can't afford to find an operator for violating the standard, you know, of, of deliberately trying to appeal to minors. Um, that will be such a horrific stain on, you know, a really great industry that AGCO, IGO, and the operators have all worked really hard to get off the ground and to ensure it is sustainable. And, you know, it's in their best interests to be as explicit, as clear as possible, so that every operator who is advertising in this market remains compliant. And quite frankly, you know, the challenge will actually be not so much along the broadcast lines 
or the above the line advertising. It's what you're going to be seeing in, you know, sponsored content, blog content, social media, you know, any of the digital media that will be a little bit more of a, a harder, a harder challenge in my opinion. Yeah. That, that leads me to my next question, Paul. And is that how, you know, how do you define, again, I think um, we referenced it slightly in the newsletter, you know, things like what, what defines an athlete, what's the, what defines a celebrity? And um, again, it might be an unfair question because you just had the one meeting this week, but um, is there a path to, to having real specifics around what, what defines a retired athlete, for example? Well, I think there's the, the idea is I think that this, this is what they're going to, they're trying to learn through this process is, is, you know, where people, one, the particular issues uh, that they have and where they need guidance. But two, um, I think we're possible to provide um, specifics, but that's, you know, I think what they're, um, uh, whether it becomes in a, you know, broad approach of, uh, instead of drawing examples between, you know, this ad before would have been fine, now it's not. I don't think they want to. They're going to go particularly there and in judging into you know individual companies creative for the example of everybody. But I think what they want to do is um, um, on a broad brush get the scenarios right that people understand where the things that metrics that companies can use, how they can understand um, that if you're looking at what may have you know does someone potentially or likely to appeal to a minor. Um, you know, is it fluid based on their, their, their reach of their social media versus their followers in social media? Um, this, the channels in which, you know, the advertising may appear, what's the composite of the, um, of the audience and understanding that in the social media world, that's pretty fluid because one week it can be good next week. Maybe it won't be. Right. And so what's the frequency of the requirements to check in? So there's some operational pieces understanding because um, the EDCO isn't going to want to say, well, this person's good, this person's bad. That's not what they're intent to do on this. Um, so, you know, it's it's going to be a good good process for everybody to to work through together to, to understand. But I, I, I'm getting a sense that, that it's now a desire to, you know, understand that we're going to work together to ensure compliance. And, um, and that's what we, that's most important. Uh, Mark Silver, I know you, you have some thoughts on this given that Parley Media Group does have sports books as clients and, and we're kind of, we're, we're, we're uh, hip deep in this. Yeah, that's a that's a very eloquent way of saying it, Steve. Yeah, we are we are definitely. Listen, my, my, my opinion on this is is similar to looking at how the the affiliates are managed, you know, inside of the province of Ontario specifically. I think this is going to come down to the operators themselves determining what is right, what is wrong, what is their willingness to take on risk to potentially be at odds with the regulator. And so I am hoping, and for, for the people that I'm speaking to, the operators that I'm dealing with, they are very conscious of this. And I do not believe that they are going to willingly make a mistake. No, and, and to jump on that, Mark, you're exactly right, because there wasn't a violation of the standards as a previously written either. There wasn't an ad. There wasn't any kind of um, action taken in any kind of way 
under this standard previously as written. And that was everybody's commitment to to wanting to make sure that they do the right thing. Understanding too that there's there's other guardrails in the system. If you're putting an ad on television that has to be reviewed by Think TV, they have their standard, which is built off the AGCO standard, but in some ways has a few more components to it and it's a very thorough review. Um, I think when we get into this is the use of people as social media influencers and others because it's also a tool that, that um, illegal operators in the market are using heavily. And a bigger thing is that do people know what the, the Igo seal means? Do they really understand that it's, this is where you gamble? Um, because there's still people that are playing on on sites that aren't registered in Ontario and they're still out there and they're still uh, promoting themselves through social media channels. And, and so it's, um, it's a challenge, a competitive challenge for um, a lot of operators in this marketplace who, because a lot of everybody uses television. I don't really think that gaming, sports betting, because I gaming, when we talk about this problem of, you know, who is promoting it, I don't think it's unique to this industry. So I'm going to go back to a conversation we actually had last week on the show, you know, with Amanda and Phil, and I believe it was Bodog that came up. I mean, they're always going to be those bad actors that are going to do what they want to do. And they'll find people, let's say Canadian citizens with followings to go after. So until there's some kind of, of rule of law that takes into consideration these practices, we just have to focus on the people who are operating the right way, a way that takes care of Canadians and Canadian jobs and hopefully over time, Canadians who are gambling uh, understand that they should be choosing brands that are following the values of our system. And I think that I can add one thing. I, I have I've been informed in the last 24 hours that uh, our nation's broadcaster, the CBC, will no longer be taking ads from Bodog um, or similar type operators, <laughs> um, which was improvement. They can add Rogers and CBC now to the list, um, but others are still doing it. And yes, we need an enforcement um, to make sure they don't have our law. And, and Paul, as part of this process, do you, do you expect that Rogers and Bell and CBC will be, will be sitting down with the AGCO? Well, there's always, um, there are issues for the broadcasters because they employ uh, retired athletes who are now in the broadcast business. And, uh, you know, I, an example I often, I pointed to is that because of U.S. signals that, that come into Canada uninterrupted, that you see an activation in a NFL broadcast on a Sunday where hosts are talking about, you know, a lot of former football players on those broadcasts talking about um, doing an activation inside a, a broadcast. It's seen in Canada, but then uh, our broadcasters in Canada can't take those kinds of things. It's a, one competitively unfair, not being able to have that kind of revenue and that opportunity. Um, but two, they're broadcasters first, and it's not paid advertising necessarily. And that there's uh, so there needs to be better guidance for them to understand this. And I think that's their, their, their number one concern um, is making sure that they can, they're still free to um, their content um, because betting information is 
and been part of broadcasts, whether it's sponsored or not, and how is that could be viewed and interpretations of the way the standard applies um, is is going to be extremely important. So I think there's there's, there's they're very interested uh, in in ensuring in participating in the process, ensuring that their um, their concerns are heard and that there's guidance that allows them the flexibility to still you know broadcast the content they want to content they want to broadcast. Uh, Amanda, from from an operator's perspective, I mean, the changes uh, are scheduled to take effect at the end of February. Is any kind of a a time crunch from from the operator standpoint right now? We we will have a Super Bowl in uh, in February. Um, we're we're in the middle of you know one of the busiest quarters on the sports calendar right now. Um, is there is there a real um, uh, desire by by operators to try to get this figured out sooner rather than later, or, or is this? Do you take a long term approach here? Oh no, I don't think we can afford to take a long term approach. Advertising is developed far in advance, um, so when the AGCO dropped these standards in the summer, that was pretty much the signal because operators would have been already in the stages of planning their Super Bowl campaigns, their fall um, and winter campaigns. Um, that they should be 100% prepared to implement these um, revisions uh, by February. So I can't imagine there would be any operators out there who were kind of still advancing, you know, putting active athletes front and center in their uh, winter campaigns um, that are surprised that they now have to rethink that. Um, given the types of questions that have been raised, there's still a lot of confusion um, over who can be used and how they can be used. Um, the AGCO was quite clear that they were not going to get into the business of pre-clearing any operator's ads. They're certainly available to have discussions, but they will not be providing approvals for anything. So I would say, Paul, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say the AGCO definitely has a bit of homework they have to go and do. Um, and I think they have a pretty good idea of the 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 ask that operators are making of them now in terms of where the confusion lies um but they have also been very clear that they are not looking to revisit the standards they're not looking to open them up and provide exceptions to anything so i think at this point in time you know operators are going to have to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to you know as the ag so kept reminding them use the conservative approach i've talked about this before steve i mean there's still a lot you can talk about, even if you don't have either the budget or the wherewithal to use a big celebrity or a big athlete. There's still product, there's still brand, there's still the services you provide. There's still lots that operators can talk about. And you know, again, listening to what the AGCO was repeating, that's certainly the direction they're hoping operators will go in. Hey, Paul, just a couple more questions. Um, one is, uh, you know, the AGCO does have new leadership. Doc, Dr. Karen Schnarr became the new CEO um, earlier this fall. Um, have you, does Karen have some influence over what's going on here? Or, or um, is there a sense that there there is going to be greater cooperation between the commission and, and, and the industry? Well, I think so. I mean, I think that... Um I think um, Karen has done a tremendous job in her six short weeks of getting out of meeting with her, in the industry folks. And her time at G2E, sitting with 
operators and companies um, to making yourself available to meet with folks. Uh, I think that's extremely, um, it's been an, an educational process for her. I know she wanted to do this. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the EGCO, um, um, you know, they, they know where their success came from in, in building the marketplace. Uh, and that was the consultation and dialogue. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about them, uh, not wanting, uh, to consult and to work with industry. And, and I think Karen's reinforcing, um, you know, her commitment on that because um, clearly understands the role of the AGCO, not only from a regulatory point of view, but in terms of um, the overall health of the market. You know, it's part of their mandate too, um, in terms of, of understanding so it can compete and it can, it can work, but, you know, and be protected and enforce rules and do all those things. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I think the, f the future from the organization point of view is good. I think there's a, you know, there's, uh, she brings a fresh perspective and a new look and, and, uh, and I think she's got a, a good team to work with. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm positive with the future. I think we're going to get, um, uh, I think they are, are still open, uh, on a whole host of fronts in terms of guidance on this and, and, and potentially uh, changes to wording to make it a better and easier to understand. Um, I don't think that the standard is is locked in stone, but I, I think there has to be good reasons if they're gonna they want to change it or need to change it. Will be in the benefit of being able to help people better understand it. Right. And, last and it's all for the all for the positive. Right. Last uh, last question, Paul, and that's. Um, uh, I understand that, that uh, there are sports, there are operators uh, which have also met uh, with the commission this week. Besides yourself, any any initial reaction or, or feedback from those operators? No, I, I mean, I I think that there's you know, there's been great a high level of participation, which is excellent. People are taking advantage of the opportunity given to them, which is excellent. And they're not, uh, and they're being very forthright. I think in what they're sharing their concerns, uh, needs, and, and related issues to the standard in terms of operation, what it means, um, market health. Uh, so I, I think it's a great exercise, and, and I'm, I'm encouraged that so many chose to do it. Not everybody is 100% um, directly affected by the standard. For some companies, right. um, their practices may not be impacted at all. In some, but everybody's choosing taking the opportunity to, uh, to make sure that their voices are heard and that they understand what they, if they need to do anything, what they need to do. Um, so uh, that's a good sign. And I think that the, um, and I think the AGCO has been, um, you know, encouraged by the fact that there has been a high level of participation. Um, because, it, you know, some obviously are more impacted through this decision than others. Um, and, and some of those companies, you know, who are impacted have made pretty significant investments in the Ontario marketplace. Um, and will this affect partnerships? And not only it's not all about TV commercials, it's actually very, very little of it is. Uh, it, but the partnerships and the other investments they've made in this marketplace, um, you know, that's, 
Um, what's the impact of that? What's the future impact on future investments in this marketplace? Um, these are all things that I know that they're going to consider. Terrific. Uh, when he's not coaching the Leaside Wildcats, Midget Girls, WB Hockey Team, Paul Burns is the <laughs> president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. Thanks, uh, Paul. I always appreciate your time. Thanks again, okay? Thank you. I uh, want to wrap up the show with a couple of uh, quick items and get Phil Gray back in here. And Phil, we mentioned in the newsletter for our paid subscribers this morning about uh, BetMGM putting out its uh, NFL midseason report and and uh, referring to kind of the, the, the Taylor Swift bump. And I, I really wanted to ask you from a trader's perspective, I mean, you you obviously see this during Super Bowl week where, where people start betting on the, the length of the national anthem and, and the color of the Gatorade that's going to get spilled on the winning coach at, at, at games then. But I'd love to explain to our audience just, you know, when you have a, a you know an outside influence like a Taylor Swift, what what's that mean to a trader? Yeah, enough of this bureaucratic, boring stuff. Let's get to the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly I saw the report. I mean, I would um, I would highly doubt that uh, Taylor Swift alone is responsible for the bump in uh, the year-on-year -year handle that uh, MGM is seeing. I would say that's more from the regulated markets, you know, this sustainability now, the, the structure and everything. You're getting a lot of people coming in. They used to play at the corner store that had their office pools, new players coming into the market. I would say... Mostly that is where, uh, you know, their bump has come. But certainly, yes, you do get it with prop bets like that. And, you know, one thing, you know, actually from, you know, inside inside the ropes in the operations, you know, war room, as I like to call it, whenever you're doing something, um, you know, these what we call, you know, kind of wacky prop bets. Uh, the first thing I ask my props trading team is, is it verifiable? Where are you going to get the result? And you can go simply to, you know, for Taylor Swift, how many times will she appear on the on the uh, the game, you know, on on Sunday? Well, you know, how do you verify that unless somebody's actually watch, watching the game and counting? Certainly, right. you're going to have media media reports. They're going to say she was on so many times. But you know, when you're taking some of those prop bets on, on things like that, you know, they can take upwards, you know, over a thousand bets. So if you grade it wrong, you go to your customer service department, and on an NFL Sunday when they're busy enough, you know, they get a couple of hundred people calling in to say, you know, my bet was graded wrong. You work together as a team and you don't make too many friends uh, in your customer service department when that happens. So you have to be careful with, you know, what you're posting. Um, and, and taste comes in as well. I mean, there's, you know, been some very distasteful stuff over the years because of social media and it's so much a part of um, people's lives. So as an operator and as a manager myself, you know, should we post that? People want to bet it. They will bet it. But, you know, as a professional uh, company, you really, you have to draw the line sometimes. And I go back to, you know, like Tom Brady and Giselle and, you know, the divorce proceedings that she were going through and the rumors that came out. And a lot of books and reputable books on NFL Sundays were posting some stuff that, you know, in my mind was completely tasteless. And the other thing I just mentioned quickly, Phil, too, is that, you know, the, the World Series between the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, we, we know the TV ratings were a, were a bust, but Simple Bet reported this week that uh, the amount of uh, in-game betting was up dr dramatically from, from last year's World Series. And I'm assuming we're, we're seeing the same thing with the NFL, that uh, that, that in-play betting just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, and that's, that's due a lot to technology, Steve, and um, the expansion of, of, of improvements in software. Um, you don't have to put as many bet delays on, on some on some cards as you used to because of feed issues. So um, the advancement on that side of um, 
the industry has been massive in about the last, I, I say the last two years. And they're really starting, you know, a lot of the feed providers are really starting to get it down right. There's still a lot of holes, but that uh, that will account for what you're seeing in in-play is uh, the lack of, you don't have to put a pet delay on, on cards anymore or not much of one. Great, great stuff. Thanks for that, Phil. Uh, we're going to end the show with some some breaking news. Um, the, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario uh, announced uh, o- over the past hour that their um, that PointsBet's facing a fine of $150,000 for violations of uh, responsible gambling standards. Um, so obviously uh, uh, a major uh, major penalty against PointsBet. Um, we will post the, the AGCO announcement on, on our the Gaming News Canada a Twitter account, and we will cover it in, in Tuesday's newsletter. Um, Mark Silver, uh, will he will um, work his magic back in his executive producer's role to, to turn this show around and, and um, get a podcast out likely over the weekend or on, on Monday morning at the latest. Um, thanks so much today for to Eric Hurd, um, Paul Burns, Mark Silver, Phil Gray, Amanda Brewer, Amanda, look forward to seeing you in Toronto on uh, on Tuesday. Uh, thanks for everybody for joining us on the show. And if you uh, if you want to listen to this podcast, we are available at uh, GamingNewsCanada.ca on Substack, or you can also um, listen to the podcast on the various platforms. Uh, please, everybody, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, please stay safe, and we'll look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.